0: Welcome to One Step Better, the podcast from Works. We're tackling topics to give you insight on a practical level to help your employees thrive in your organization and to help you become one step better every day towards being the leader that you want to be. Now, let's kick it over to the Works team.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the One Step Better podcast. I'm your host, Mike Schaefer, and today we're going to talk about restaurants. So, with me today, we've got Stephen Downer. He is our manager of partnerships, channel partnerships here at Works and Patrick Accounting as well as Matt Patrick, we're going to be talking about restaurants because a couple of reasons. One, we deal with a lot of restaurants on an ongoing basis. We get a bunch of questions here lately. We've even been getting more questions from restaurant owners and their teams simply because of the COVID environment and, and we're looking to reopen or maybe we shouldn't reopen and we're trying to change menus and, and all of the fun stuff that comes with operating a restaurant through a pandemic, which by this time, it feels like everybody's experts on when six months ago, you wouldn't have even considered it. And so Steven, your background is a little bit in the restaurant world. You've worked in restaurants for a, a long, long time. You've been around the restaurant industry, I should say, for a long, long time. Previous to us, you've been in some POS or point of sale systems with LAVU as well as before that, software automation, restaurant 365. I feel like it'd be a good topic for us to discuss today, coming from your background specifically and kind of what we do here at Patrick Accounting. And so thanks for joining us. I really appreciate you being on the podcast today. Restaurants are struggling to figure out what's going on in every arena they possibly can. New legislation is coming almost weekly, it seems like. There is a massive push towards what do we do if we can't open in, at full capacity or how long we can't open at full capacity. And that just adds to the normal pressure of what does it look like to make sure that I have a proper inventory or I'm staffed appropriately or, or my menu price is correct. It's just a, it's a unique animal right now, Matt. I know that you've been getting a lot of conversations about this. What do you see out there in the restaurant world here today? Being flexible and creative
0: and ready to change in a blink of an eye is what has to happen today, but also staying super laser focused on your data, understanding what you're seeing and making adjustments readily available as fast as possible.
1: Getting good data right now is super important. So important. Which really fits our wheelhouse because one of the things that we strive to do is provide business owners and their teams insight and access to data as fast as we possibly can. Steven, in your experience around the restaurant industry, what are some of the key data points that restaurant owners or operators really look to see on an ongoing basis?
2: I've seen a lot of, of different ones. You know, I talked to a group up in, I think it was Michigan, that they were comfortable seeing a, a P&L once a year. That's what they saw because they had more money in their bank every week. This was you know, pre-COVID, obviously. But the biggest things that you want to focus on are your, your controllables, right? Like your rent, that's going to stay the same all the time. And so you want to focus on what you can control. So I've always said that there's only three ways to make more money in a restaurant. Control your cost of goods, control your labor, or open another restaurant. Hmm. And so it's a little difficult to open another restaurant right now when you don't know where your money's at right and so you can't do that third one you can't open that other restaurant unless you're controlling your cost of goods unless you're controlling your labor that's
1: really interesting because we, we something that we talk about a lot is your controllables are really all that the only you have access restaurants to.
0: manage two numbers if you can manage two numbers of the restaurant you're there mm-hmm. both numbers are super hard to manage today oh exactly okay. Covid has changed both those numbers dramatically you're paying people not to work in some cases you're paying people more than you should your restaurant quantities and the number of things you're selling every day are different than you've ever had in your historical. So your restaurants at operating in a weird capacity change. So it's very important that you're looking at both those numbers, but also putting the perspective of, okay, I only have X seats available to sell today during the normal business hours. How do I maximize that seat or the, or the, you know, the square footage of my restaurant via pivoting to family style meals? Or what does my new takeout menu look like? Or do I scale down? Or do I change my quantity of a meal? Do I change the size of the portion of portion control on our, our stuff? So there's all kinds of things that go into that now. It's just, it's amazing how much they have to re- rethink their whole business model within the last three or four months.
1: It has been a, a lot. Cause I mean, here in the Memphis area, I, I believe what we're still operating at, I think it's 50%, 50% right now. Yeah. And that's not a sustainable model for most restaurants. No. To, to have 50% capacity means I'm losing money every day for most restaurants. Yeah, I would imagine so.
0: Yeah, unless they have a heavy takeout business.
1: Right. It's a difficult jungle to navigate right now. So with that, Stephen, the controllables are really important to keep your handle on. What's the good rhythm? What's the good pace for how often a restaurant operator should be looking at that information? And what are some tangible ways that they can actually control those controllables?
2: I mean, ideally, like the, the gold standard would be daily, right? Like, I want to know exactly what's coming in. A big reason that I think a lot of restaurants closed right after COVID hit was that a lot of their vendors are on net 30. So they receive the product and then they have to pay for it 30 days later. So you now in COVID, when your sales dry up, your, your income is turned off. Essentially, I usually ro- I'm used to robbing Peter to pay Paul. And exactly. Now- yeah. Paul never showed back up. Exactly. Peter never showed back up, so I can't pay Paul. Exactly. That's what's happening, right? And so now, let's say three weeks into the pandemic, your vendors are knocking on your door saying like, hey, you owe me money, and now mm-hmm. I have yeah. nothing. And so- You and everybody else, buddy. <laughs> so understanding that and looking at like what you owe out there, what, what vendor bills are in there. Like you need to look at that every day and understand, do I have enough money to pay these bills? Or, you know, do, do I have to hit a certain number of sales, right? Like I said, controlling those factors and even- breaking it down by day part when it comes to labor. That's where you can look at it in 15 minute increments and understand like, okay, well, I know that our lunch rush dries up at 1.15 every day. And so I can have people go home now. I don't like, I don't need to have a full staff of six people here. I can do it with half. And so not paying those salaries, you know, it can be difficult for the employees at times, but it's better than just paying them to stand around and do nothing.
1: Yeah. We, I've even seen that with, it's difficult for the, the store level manager to now all of my buddies that I work with every day, I gotta send half of you home. Right. And well, it's kind of part of that role in, in some ways, because if that is your controllable, that's what really one of your only levers that you can pull, you gotta be willing to pull the lever. Exactly. The
0: food is still in the freezer. You can't send the food home. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. The labor is I can't mm-hmm. send that
1: back to Cisco after <laughs> I <can't laughs> take it.
0: Now the one thing you did mention though, luckily I mean most of the bigger vendors during this time have been super flexible with our clients. Oh, definitely. and, and they also realize it's hey this is a world we're living in right now. And they also, like, hey, look, on the, what you owe me already, we'll put that on freeze. You'll be COD on the new stuff you buy. Right. So you're not as, but it, that's been, been a huge difference. I think the landlords have been, for the most part, fairly flexible. Everybody understands. I mean, most of the restaurants, all of our clients that we work with anyway, we're able to get PPP money. That helped a lot. But yeah, it's been a whole new world to manage all those lazy labor management processes. You better have gotten fixed.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. A lot of, I've seen a lot of other restaurants that I've had the chance to talk to, this is when they're looking for solutions. they like, oh, we need to get better. One thing I always said at Restaurant 365 was that if you have more money in your bank account every week, you don't care what your processes are. And that's scary, right? Because when something like COVID hit really out of nowhere, then what do you do? You no longer had more money in your bank account. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't know why you don't have money. And you, right. d- you don't know where the money was going out of the door. You don't know what menu items were failing you. You don't know, like what your, any of this was. And so it's important, like I said, to look at this every single day. It can be a little tedious, but I mean, there's a lot of technology like restaurant 365 that we use here. You can look at that every day. Even looking at like point of sale reports, a lot of those things now, like they give you the information at your fingertips and you just have to. Yeah, it it, starts with having
0: data, right? So we, you know, we are a restaurant 365 partner. Our goal there for our restaurant clients was just to give them better data in a timelier manner and automate as much of that as possible. Because obviously, if we have to touch every day, it becomes very expensive for them and us. Of course. And so we wanted to put the processes in place so they can see data in real time. So the nice thing about 365 is it talks to point-of-sale systems in real time. It's automatically grabbing most of our bigger vendors' food items into the AP munction so we can have a good idea of labor cost. coming I mean, out food cost, and our labor is auto accruing from their clock in and clock out from the point-of-sale. And in our, in our world, our, you know, I solved a, a, a through work System it automatically you know, manages that on the back end to make sure everything's kind of going back and forth. So we get basically a true flash report, you know, a true prime cost every single day, and that's data. I mean, that data is huge. Um, exactly. But, yeah, that's not typical. You know, we have a lot of clients that we still use that are in QuickBooks, and we have a lot of those still ourselves. That benefit hasn't reached them. So, like you said, the point of sale has to be where they're driving a lot of that day-to-day decisions. In oh, of course,
2: yeah. Micromanaging their labor. I mean, there's the idea of you know, good data in, good data out. I know a lot of point of sales have been set up hastily, like, oh, I need to get this thing up and running. And so there's a lot of just weird random stuff floating in there. Yep. And so I think now, while it is a little slower, we need to look at what our processes are internally in the restaurant and really understand like, where things need to get better. You have a little extra time now. Put that into making your business tighter making like understand where your margins are. One that's... of the
0: big things we saw with all this as well that you know, I'll say Grubhub and Uber Eats and all these third party vendors that you kind of had in the background as a very small part of your of your business now became a crucial part of your business as you're having to pivot and find more to go sales or whatever. And a lot of times we were seeing that they were not necessarily integrated into their point of sale correctly. Right. They had a different online menu system that wasn't connected to their point of sale and it wasn't connected. Like all these, they had four or five different systems just totally disjointed. It's always been on our end of paying the butt to account for it. We've always done it with the intention of, God, I wish I'd make this easier. Why don't they bring this thing up through their point of sale? But now it became more like half their sales are running up through yeah. you know, right. Uber Eats or Grubhub or whatever it was.
1: And it's like, okay, you guys, we got to fix this. Whereas before it was two or three here or there and it Not didn't nearly really matter. critical. Yeah, it, it didn't matter because it wasn't the volume wasn't there. And the fact that no they weren't making true.
0: money on those things, it was a slow enough volume and the fees and stuff. You does the math work or whatever? It was a way to get almost a marketing budget yeah. more than a, a, a revenue driver. And now it's that's my revenue driver. <laughs> I'm gonna find out how this is <laughs> yeah. Going there working. was
1: there was a lot of restaurants that were. Testing this out, I I think it would be cool if my logo popped up on Uber Eats or whatever. And now it it has. It has become a... And (laughs) the flip side of that is a lot of restaurant operators are seeing, Hmm. for some of them, it's like, oh, wow, they're taking a pretty decent size cut out of (laughs) this. Does it make sense to offer my own delivery service? Yep. Which comes with a whole different set of challenges. Oh, yeah. It's been interesting to see how nimble... The I love the, the fact that we can doing. get booze to go.
0: That's fantastic, <laughs> yeah. and I love you know Chick Fil A. just a great operation. They always do such a great job. I wish we all could be more like Chick Fil A. You look at that store and like they have eighty parking spots for curbside now. I'm going. Do you think they ever open their restaurant back? <laughs> right. I'm not sure they will because it's a <laughs> it's a machine. Like yeah. they have a whole new. It's a. it's a, they uh, even it's a, need a
1: dining room at this
2: point? I don't know if they do. Yeah. But yeah, they I mean they crank it out just as much chicken as they always have. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot so, of those uh, fast food companies they're really looking at changing their models completely. Like why invest in having a building that has a dining room? Cause a lot of people just use the drive through. Like when they look at their percentages, that's the majority of yeah, the business. A lot smaller. You could have a lot smaller footprint with it or it's all kitchen. Yeah, exactly. Or the like, a bigger parking lot <laughs> The so. idea of the whole like ghost kitchen and everything yeah. too. Now yeah. it's just a big shared kitchen that 18 different restaurants can be yeah. a part of. And it's only to go right. Yeah. Only to go in for delivery and that, it's a very interesting counter service.
1: Yep. With all shared kitchens. That's always an interesting thing. I know that's, we don't have a ton of that here in the Memphis area. I know that in some of your more major metropolitan areas, that's a big deal. The shared kitchen ideas of kind of the food court model, it's uh, all going back to a single spot.
2: My cheat day go-to place is actually a ghost kitchen like that, where there's hawaiian barbecue there's like hot chicken sandwiches and like that. you can go and get anything you want anything you want it's, it's a cheap yeah. day paradise yeah, yeah.
0: it's it's interesting I want one see. of all these things <laughs> exactly <Yeah. laughs>
2: i'm sure i, I guess go it go kind of goes back spot. to like the
0: kfc taco bell you know ice basket <laughs> robin exactly, Cabo, yeah. whatever you know you have those
1: three places in one
0: i'm a lot of those long was like taco bell long john silvers and yeah. fried
1: chicken all in the same one uh, yum brands. all the yum it. brands yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The, the mega model yeah, and you saw everybody move away from that for so long, but you see mm-hmm. how cyclical this is, and now it's like, oh like, wait well, a second, we we've got <laughs> something going on, in a situation where if we could share anything, if I'm a single unit operator, then hey, you know what? Maybe there's some efficiencies I can gain here. And I love it. That's a great concept. It it is. It is. It's it's interesting to see. Yeah, I think it'll be a little more
0: maybe the use of commissaries more, or like the idea of this idea of a back office kitchen. Catering places have done this for years, where they'll share a kitchen with a restaurant, perhaps, mm-hmm. or they'll have a warehousing kitchen, or something in a lot cheaper location than a retail space. So it's interesting to see how people are being creative during this time.
1: I'm, I think it's great. You see a lot of bakehouses doing that right now where they have, or I mean, that's been their model for a long time where they'll make all their cookies or cupcakes or whatever out of one Mike, location. It's always that cookies with is people. not a retail store. <laughs> and then they take those to the storefronts and I've seen some rushers. There's, a barbecue company here in town that I think of specifically that, that has that model right I now. Yep. It, is, it is. It's a, I got they a have kitchen. one, they have
0: one big smoker system for yeah. a bunch of all their barbecue for their, all the restaurants. Yep. So it makes sense.
1: It's, it, it turns into the retail shops really turn into a catering, even though that's not really what it is, but that's crab, really what it is. Grab goes. <laughs> yeah. I always like to see the the creativity that happens whenever small businesses are forced to do something different or just change in some way. It's always, it's fun to see. I like uh, the restaurant space specifically is is interesting
2: watching fine dining kind of transform through this right' Because their model was never meant for a good to go business right no, like you not might at have well. been able to pick it up but it, it's largely like you it's know, the experience yeah it's, it's the experience, and so a lot of them I've seen a trend where they're hosting like, hey, you buy this kit, then we have a big zoom conference, and we're going to walk you through how to make this stuff at home. It's an awesome at home experience now like it's tying you to that restaurant more and I perfect for like a at home date night and well, oh, yeah. yeah, they
1: saw that their why wasn't to produce good food, even though that was a big component of it, Sure, but it was to produce a quality experience. So now they've shifted that experience from come to my location and we're going to serve you and all that to you're going to have an at-home date night and you're going to go through this process and we're going to guide you. And it is, I agree. I, those types of things I think is, has been really interesting to see. I know Meredith and I have participated in a couple of those things. So we, It's been really, really fun.
0: We have a client, Celtic Crossing, here in town, Irish Pub, and they always have whiskey tastings in their bar and during this COVID mess they went to virtual whiskey tastings and you could go there pick up three small shots of whiskey and he would have a write-up on it and we'd do a zoom call with he'd have the distillery uh, the original distillery on the the one he'd have or the you know part of the distributor network or give you history on it like here's the area of town it was great and we enjoyed it we did three or four of them and it was just, it's a fun experience. And yeah. they, all, they all tasted like motor fuel uh, or high octane gasoline, but they were great. But That's it was probably
1: because you did three or four of them all at the same time.
0: <laughs> the third one tasted better than the first one. I don't know why, but it just did. It went down uh, so much better. It was so was much better. Um, but yeah, it, was, it was a lot of fun. My wife and I did it, but we actually did dual Zoom calls. We'd have the Zoom call with him, and then I had my buddies. We actually sent some out to buddies of ours, and we ended up gotcha. having like a side Zoom call so we could talk while he was talking. It was fun. We had a good time.
1: Yeah. That's a great example of just getting creative with your yeah, business that model was great. and making things happen in a time selling in items things are just, aren't happening very well. He was like,
2: yeah, I don't, I'm out of whiskey I, I'm not, that We're full. We have yeah, 150 done. people doing this thing. <laughs> I mean, it it's, a, it's experiential. And so you're willing to pay more for this, right? Oh, yeah. Like you go there, you pick it up. And I mean, the margins on these things, like alcohol is always the biggest margin for a restaurant typically. And so being able to even increase that margin now, I think it's, it's incredible.
0: Yeah, and we've talked to our clients a lot about this is a good time to raise prices in that sure. the virtual menus have created a lot better option there. The old issue was got to get my menus reprinted. I got to change my pricing and point of sale. Hey, man, pivot time. You know, you know, change your pricing. If you have half as many seats available every day at your restaurant, right. pricing is important. Quantity control is important. So all those things were very, it's a good time to be aggressive. Everyone was wanting to go out and eat. They weren't really
2: concerned about the price. <laughs> and <I> mean, <laughs> They weren't we can as even, concerned about the price. We can even look at cutting the menu in half, right? Yeah, like, yes, I don't need this full, like. I look at the Cheesecake Factory, right? Like Ugh. it's a novel when you're flipping yeah. through their, their menus. And I think that works very well for their model for like the big dine-in areas that they have. But other restaurants, hey, let's focus on your top 10 SKUs and the ones that we know are making you the most money. And that's why like kind of tying it all back that we need to look at this information. We need to understand what are our margins on here? What are our costs? How does that fluctuate, right? Because our, our distributors, they have to make their money. They're not going to drop food off and take a loss on it. So we yeah. need to understand... Our our same model. We need to factor in all these different
0: and with all the shortages that happened. I mean, oh my gosh, yeah. Meat prices went through the roof. Then you had, produce prices changing, and so that variability of oh my gosh. I mean, I think some beef was almost three four times what it was costing before oh COVID. Yeah, the processing plants not able to, to process it, which means distributions not able to get it. I mean, just all those prices started rising. It's it's allowed the restaurants to have to be more nimble
1: than ever. Definitely. So one of those controllables is is really like food cost. Sure. Um, and, and which has a lot of facets to it. One of those menus that we've been talking about. The reality is if you're buying produce that's only used in one or two dishes, it probably makes sense not to do that anymore. (laughs) Cut it, change your menu. It's okay to change your menu. And one of the cool things that is coming out of this is the paperless menus. You know, I don't have that printed copy of my menu necessarily in the building. It's a lot easier to change Pricing on menus whenever it's all digital. Oh, exactly. Uh, And so you can go update that and throw that out to that link that you're using for your paperless menu, and it's a pretty easy process. It's going to be interesting to see how some of those things stick around post COVID and getting back to normal, because there is a lot of cool stuff that's coming out of this. Definitely. One of the, you know, the the third thing that you mentioned on one of the controllables is if I want to make more money, I can open up a new location. (laughs) Talk a little bit about the difference in the kind of the data collection and information that you're going to get, and and what information you maybe should be getting. If I'm a single unit operator versus I'm looking to go, you know, my second or even my 10th unit, Sure. some of the different struggles and challenges that come with
2: that. It's a matter of collecting that data. There's so much information that, that are coming from point of sales today. And if you don't have the infrastructure to manage that in a nice way, right? Like for the longest time and even really prevalent today, you have people just dumping this information into Excel spreadsheets. And then yep. they have all their algorithms. They might be a wizard at it, but you're so dependent on that one person and if they're sick one week, your food cost, your labor cost, like those are out the window, like you don't know what that is. And so, having the right infrastructure and having the right technology stack to make sure that you can look at these things from that macro level, like how my business is doing at a whole, right? Versus that lower level because if you have the same concept and let's say you have 10 locations across, you know, two different cities, right? There's differences in every business in terms of, you know, what your rent might be, what, you know, utilities, things like that, but also in Buying profiles, right? Like, what what's selling in this location? That's not selling in this location. You number have to be of car, able to... number of cars going by every day. Exactly number yeah. of,
0: number of um, tops of homes. One of the things that we looked at was when we do some retail work is Google Earth. How many homes are in that area? But just knowing what your traffic patterns are. Hey, I can't turn left in that restaurant. All those things matter.
2: Exactly. When you're deciding yeah. where you're going to go. And I mean, like I said, in those different locations, like yes, it is all the same concept. It's it's, it's easy to copy paste, right? Like, oh, this concept works so well here. It we're, must also work there. Yeah. That's not necessarily the case, right? Like you might have to change your yep. menu a little bit, like, you know, have your same concept, but, you know, make it feel like it, it belongs in that neighborhood. And There's so, a reason why Coca-Cola has different flavors
1: in America than it does exactly. in China.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. We've had clients that like, like, we're in college towns. We're, we do really well in college towns and they'll go to a new college town. And they do terrible. If it's a pizza restaurant and like, let's say they're a pizza restaurant and they go to all these college towns, like, that's great. Except for you moved in about a mile and a half away from the, the pizza restaurant has been here for 60 years. Right. And that's where everybody's always gone. That's a different, and getting them in a world of that or, oh, hey, exactly. you're not on the, you can't use your dining plan here, but all the other pizza joints in town can. Right. All those things become really
2: apparent when you move to new locations and you just, it's not always the same set of factors. I've said this for years now, but, you know, restaurants are something that like, we're all very familiar with. We all go to restaurants. We've all Like 21 times a week for me. (laughs) (laughs) But it's someone's going out there like, I want to start my own business. I want to be my own boss. It's easy to say like, oh, I'm familiar with restaurants. I can run a restaurant. I'm a great cook. I have this interesting (laughs) concept. But there's so much that you just, you, you don't know. Like you don't know what you don't know at the end of the day. And so having the right partners in that, right? Having the right services like works and Patrick accounting, it's vital that you have a trusted resource that you can go to and say, what do I do? What is going wrong? There's never going to be like a flip of a light switch and say, hey, now we fixed it. It's all good to go. It takes processes. And that's... We have such a wide variety of operators. You know, it's right. like you have
0: operators that are very financial driven. And so they understand their numbers very well. But they're sure. not necessarily as good on the operation side. So the people management side or the dealing with their vendors. And you also have the kinds that are like, hey, I'm a chef. I don't know anything about my numbers. I just make really good food. Right, Well, exactly. that's great. Well, we, hopefully we can bridge both those gaps sometimes. Obviously, we can do the numbers part, but we have enough history to know that, hey, here's some resources you can use for the operations side if you need it. And we're not necessarily those people always. We have, great, we have great people and great organizations that we're a part yeah. of, members of the Memphis Restaurant Association or the National Restaurant Association. And we have other operators that we know that are mentors for other,
1: other restaurateurs. So it's always interesting to see. A successful restaurant always has all their bases covered, whether it's quality food, good insight into financials good operations, people, person, they have all those bases covered and that's difficult to find in a single person. And so having all of the people around you that can come in and fill those gaps whenever, maybe I don't know enough about how to actually run a restaurant, but I'm a James Beard, you know, award-winning chef. Sure. Well, fill that gap and you're going to be a lot more successful than if I'm just going to go cook really quality food and sell it for $5. Making quality food is
0: super important. But it is one of probably 10 things you have to do to run a successful restaurant. Yeah. Or a million things. I don't know. There's a lot. There's a
1: lot. (laughs) Absolutely. There's a reason why most restaurants fail and they fail quickly. And it's because it's a lot more difficult than, hey, I make really good cookies. Now, (laughs) since I make really good cookies, everybody's gonna come buy my cookies. Right. It's a lot more. I mean, you have to be a marketing
2: expert. You have to be a financial expert. You have to understand the operations. You need to. How good are you hiring people? How good are you? How are you good at keeping your people? How good are you training your people? How you know? There's a thousand ways of issues
0: that could go wrong there.
1: And if you're one of the billions of people out there that want to run a restaurant and you're not all things to all people, you need good quality partners that are gonna come and fill those gaps. And Definitely. we can, uh, quick plug, but we can help with that because we, we are not all those people, but we have all those people that can come around side of you and help you with help that. Help you. That's right. And so, you know, we're not touting ourselves as to be the end all be all magic pill, but we could fill a lot of those gaps and get you in contact with people that we know that you need the gaps filled with.
2: I feel like everyone has a friend that like, oh, I know a guy. Sure. We are the, I know a guy guy. Sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sure. Hopefully we're the know a guy guy. Yeah. 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 So, well, Steven,
1: I really appreciate you joining us. It's always fun to talk about restaurants. I think kind of, as Matt alluded to, it's because we go to restaurants a lot. <laughs> I love them, man. They're great. <laughs> but it's also because we, we do, you know, help and, and serve a, a lot of restaurants in our business. And so thanks for coming on board and, and talking Thank with us a little me. bit. If you are an operator out there or a restaurant owner or key leader of a restaurant, and you feel like, you know what, you just don't have the insight into what's going on in your organization, or you don't have support to help you through some hard times, we would love to have a conversation. Otherwise, you know, just reach out and and ask a question on our social media. If you are subscribing to us through Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google or, you know, wherever you listen to those podcasts, drop us a question. Let us know that you're out there and, and that you want some help, and we'd be glad to connect and see how we can help partner with your organization as well. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us, Steve and Matt. Have a great day.
0: Thanks for tuning in. Head over to works.com for webinars, blogs, and more content. That's works, W-H-I-R-K-S dot See you next time.